Hey y'all, you are listening to another episode of The Spiritual Homegirl, where we discuss all things concerning self-development and bettering our spirit, but from the homie perspective, somebody that's going through the journey day by day, just like you. Hey y'all, it's your girl Maria, The Spiritual Homegirl, and we are back with another episode of The Spiritual Homegirl Podcast. Now, before we get started, you know, I can't do my uh, any podcast episode really without giving my usual note of gratitude to you all. So thank you all for listening. Out of the tens and thousands of podcasts that are in podcast land, you choose to leave me your ears once a week for about an hour or so, and I hella appreciate that. Shout out to those who listened to the last few episodes. They have been, uh, I've been getting some great feedback on them. Episode 103 with How to Spot a Toxic Healer, then episodes uh, 100 and 101 about the religion of white supremacy. The last episode I did, episode 104, which was about African spirituality with my OG, Kim Sarasara. And um, I have just, man, the next episode, no, let me not say that because I know I know how sporadic the game goes with me. I know sometimes I'll say things in spirit be talking about something else. Also, episode 102 with my girl Amina uh, from The Healing Tree. That was a two-hour crystal intensive. I've been getting some really good feedback on these episodes, and I thank you all for sharing with me um, what you all think should be on the show. Actually, everything that has been suggested, even though I have uh, ideas up until maybe close to like end of January 2021 now, they have been things that have aligned with the mission and values of what Spiritual Homegirl stands for. So I really appreciate that. Um, also, I have some guests, more guests coming, and um, I'm just really excited to be here. Today is very special. Um, first of all, it's... 2.30 in the morning right now on Homegirl Thursday today. And normally, I like to get my episodes uh, to my producer a couple of days at least in advance. And he gets them together and, and puts them out. And I tried to get to um, a place where I could... As, as organized as I could present what I want to present today. And I realized that, you know, at this point, might as well just put it all out there. And the approach that I wanted to do with this episode, um, first off, trigger warning, it is talking about uh, domestic violence, intimate partner violence, abuse, and how to recognize the signs, the types of abuse, and um, what the spiritual community fails to do when it comes to addressing abuse. And when I say spiritual community, I, I, I mean myself because I'm talking from a collective standpoint as well as um, some ways to help, uh, to get help. So I was trying to figure out how do I condense this information? It's so much information. And I know sometimes, you know, I talk off the cuff and podcasters in general tend to talk off the cuff. And I know a lot of times opinion is presented as fact and I did not want to do that. Um, at least 100% with this episode. I never wanted to just say, oh, well, most people do this, most people do that. I didn't want I, I, I don't like those kind of approaches when it comes to things that have statistical data. So I compiled some things, and you're probably going to hear some pages turn because I have a lot to notes. So, um, yeah, I just kind of mold around how I want to do this, and I was like, man, let me just do it. So you're literally getting this episode, Homegirl Thursday. It's actually the uh, two-year anniversary of my move to L.A., uh, I didn't get to L.A. On, on the 8th. I packed up my car around this same. Oh, man. Wow. This is huge. OK, so I'm looking at my phone right now. It's 234 at five in the morning, five ish around this time on a new moon two years ago in Atlanta, Georgia. I packed all my stuff in my car and I drove. I began a 30 some hour journey 
to uh well more like eh, yeah more like 30 something because I, I did stop in san antonio and sleep for a few hours but man me and my best friend we we packed all my stuff in the car and took off so it's really interesting that i'm talking about this on such a moment um man it's wow full circle moments you gotta love them but before we get started y'all know i'm back to be out here doing sponsors and that sponsor for this week's episode number 105 is me i trackademics go ahead and cue the music up we finna roll it one more time this week's episode, episode 105, and actually all of the 105 episodes of the Spiritual Homegirl podcast have been sponsored by Spiritual Homegirl. Spiritual Homegirl is a multifaceted brand that seeks to help others better self and spirit from a homegirl just like you perspective. Spiritual Homegirl does not want to be the guru, but help you become your own and authentically discover your own peace of mind. Spiritual Homegirl has been around since 2016 and has been doing this through podcasts, newsletters, video content, podcasts, puzzle books, workbooks, spiritually expressive clothing, and aromatherapy products and meditation guides, as well as coaching and counseling services. Spiritual Homegirl was founded by Maria Gates again in 2016. She has been featured in Mantra Magazine, Rolling Out, Voyage Atlanta, Voyage ACL Complex, and now this news for her work and her efforts in the community and virtually. Also, Maria wants to make sure that no matter what, she is never above her own advice. Maria loves to have a passion for people as well as competency as she is a certified meditation teacher. She is a certified community counselor. She also has an aromatherapy certification. She is a certified life coach and also currently studying to become a licensed therapist. To get in touch with Maria, you can do so at spiritualhomegirl.com, spiritualhomegirl.shop. She has a Patreon if you'd like to work with her deeper tier starting at $7. You can find her at patreon.com forward slash spiritualhomegirl as well as on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, Spiritual Homegirl. Also, to email her, you can read her up at spirit- <laughs> almost had it, y'all. At Maria SpiritualHomegirl.com. Man, I man, I'm normally a one take shawty, but that commercial boy, that's I'm telling y'all, we working on that. Y'all might as well get used to that because we're gonna plug ourselves so we can't plug ourselves no more. Cause like I always say, who gonna push you better than you, boo? All right, so all right, let's go ahead and get this started. So, whew, okay. This topic is very, uh, it's very close to me. I had a relative that was actually, and again, I, I did the trigger warning at the beginning, so I just want to let you guys know we're keeping it very, 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 very uh, raw, okay? Um, and honest, as we always do here, but domestic violence, intimate partner violence is not, we don't do these type of topics that are trigger warnings on the podcast a lot. Um, so I just want to, you know, keep in mind, you know, I'm I'm keep letting you know that I'm keeping you all in mind as well. I don't want anybody to hurt themselves or overextend themselves or disrespect their own personal boundaries if this is something that makes them uncomfortable. So if you need to tend to yourself, that's completely fine. I wouldn't be offended if you need to come back to this episode, if you need to skip over it entirely, that's completely fine too. Um, I just want to make sure that no matter what, I use my platform to speak on things that do affect our spirit and abuse is one of them. So, um... I just I just trust that the impact and the intent matches, you know, because sometimes they don't. So with that being said, um, well, I have got to have so many notes. And my two sources for the notes and, and the statistical facts that you guys will hear today are going to come from the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, as well as the National um 
the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. So I just want to get those out the way. Shout out to y'all for uh, all of the fact sheets and great information um, for those who may need to know more about um, intimate partner violence and how to get help and resources from those uh, from those situations. So what is intimate partner violence? So like I said, I have lots of notes. I don't know how long this episode is going to be, but we're just going to get it popping. All right. So intimate partner violence is basically from what I read here, it's abuse or aggressive behavior that occurs in a relationship that's close. So it can refer to people that you may have dated before people you're currently dating now. So it's like current and former uh, spouses, partners, what have you. Um, it actually is not, there's not, it's not a monolith when it comes to intimate partner violence. It really, it can happen once. It can happen twice. It can happen on a lower level of severity. It can happen on high severity. Um, it really can range. And sometimes people um, may not know that it can range, have a range over a long period of time. Sometimes it's years of abuse. Sometimes it's one chaotic episode um, that may be damaging in the long run. Now, according to the CDC, Intimate partner violence has four types of behavior. So physical violence, basically that's physical contact. A person is trying to hurt you, hitting, kicking, or using some other type of physical force. I would also include throwing things, trying to harm people with objects as well. Um, sexual violence, um, forcing or, or wanting to force a partner or trying to force a partner to take part in a sex act or sexual touching or a non-visual sexting. Like, you know, trying to sext in things that are just of, of a sexual nature um, when the partner does not or cannot or will not consent stalking is basically just giving this unwarranted constant repeated attention and contact by a partner that's causing fear or concern for the other's safety or the safety of someone close to that person that they're stalking and also psychological aggression is the use of verbal or nonverbal communication with the intent to hurt or harm another person mentally or emotionally or to force some kind of control over them now, I know people kind of, uh, I understand the segmentation of intimate partner violence, but all four of these could happen at once. Um, and it's also connected to other forms of violence and can cause serious health issues, and economic consequences, which we will discuss in just a moment. Um, now, what people kind of don't realize um, is that intimate partner violence can start very early, teen dating. Sometimes those teen dating experiences, that puppy love that ends up, you know, you think you love sick, but it's really abuse. Um, and 11 million men, excuse me, 11 million women and 5 million men who have reported um, experiencing any type of intimate partner violence. They said they first experienced these forms of violence before the age of 18. Um, so that's a general overview. And going back to those consequences, um, man, it's, it's a lot. But for starters, from a physical standpoint, when someone is experiencing intimate partner violence, uh, conditions, negative health conditions um, or things that can negatively affect your health are conditions affecting the heart, digestive, reproductive, muscle, bones and nervous systems. And they usually are chronic. So they're long term. Um, also, there may be some mental health problems like depression, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder um, and also to cope, if there's no coping mechanisms, there is a higher risk for engaging in health risk behaviors like smoking, drinking, um, and doing uh, other risky things sexually. Um, and then there's also loss of productivity for time off and, and things of that nature, uh, re related injuries that take people out of work. Um, but again, we're going to get into that a little bit, a little bit more. 
So um, some more facts that I got. On average, nearly 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner in the United States. Now, in one year, this ends up being 10 million, more than 10 million women and men. People kind of forget that men also experience intimate partner violence as well. And I don't think that's something that should be uh, forgotten about. Now, one in four women and one in nine men experience severe intimate partner physical violence, intimate partner contact sexual violence, and or, because again, these all can occur together, intimate partner stalking, um, and and um, also, like, I'm trying to make sure I work this right, y'all, bear with me, but the impacts of that can include injury, fearfulness, PTSD, contracting of uh, sexually transmitted diseases. So basically saying that these statistics, so 25% of women and about maybe a little under 10% of men experience severe violence where it leads to those types of issues. And again, these are coming from the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence is where the stats are coming from. Also, one in three women and one in four men have experienced some form of physical violence by an intimate partner. Um, this also includes slapping, shoving, pushing. Um, so it's, they're saying not necessarily severe, but is if you notice, you know, first it was um, one in four and one in nine women and men, respectively. Now it's saying just any, like some form, some form of physical violence is one in three women and one in four men. And that, again, includes slapping, shoving, pushing. And some people they don't consider that domestic violence. Um, I'm not sure why that is, I guess, because it's not supposedly, quote unquote, severe um, but I do think that those things do have the potential to have lasting impacts psychologically, um, even if it is something like a slap that may not be um, like a long term. So I think that's kind of interesting how people approach the the less severe as possibly not counting. Um, also, one in seven women, women and one in 25 men have been injured by an intimate partner. One in seven women and one in eight, 18 men have been stalked by an intimate partner during their lifetime to the point where they felt very fearful or believed that they or someone close to them would be harmed or killed. Women between the ages of 18 and 24 are most commonly abused by an intimate partner. Domestic victimization is uh, related to a higher rate of depression and suicidal behavior. And unfortunately, only 34% of people who are injured by intimate partners receive medical care for their injuries. Now, this is another trigger warning, y'all. We're dealing with rape and statistics of that. One in five women and one in 71 men in the United States have been raped in their lifetime. And almost half of female and male victims. And these numbers were not too far apart. 46.7% women and are female and 44.9% male victims of rape in the United States were raped by an acquaintance. And of these, um, of these percentages, 45.4% of female rape victims and 29% of male rape victims were actually raped by an intimate partner. Um, uh, stalking, 19.3 million women and 5.1 million men in the United States have been stalked in their lifetime. I have been one of those women. I'll tell y'all a quick story. So when I was a freshman in college, their Facebook had like, you know, Facebook was kind of like new and things like that. And Facebook was kind of like, like nobody was really, really on Facebook like that, like that, like all the little apps and stuff wasn't really on there. And I remember, um, there was a guy that would like watch me on campus, but he would never like talk to me. He would never like say hello. Now granted, um, I never dated him and he was just kind of weird to me because it's not and for that. I never would, but he would see me on campus, see me walking around, would never go out of his way to say hello, never make himself seen, 
he would hit me up on my Facebook and say, you look beautiful going to class, Maria. And I was like, whoa, okay. Like, so this man knows my whereabouts. And then um, maybe a couple of weeks later, I was getting these weird knocks on my door. I lived in a dorm suite with another girl, but she was out of town um, visiting family. And I remember I would get these knocks on my door and nobody bit the door. I thought that was kind of odd. And people kind of kept playing with my with my door, and I didn't like that at all. And um, the messages continued for another couple of weeks. I started to freak out at that point. I started switching my routine, started telling my friends, hey, can you walk me to class, things like that, because it, it was weird. Now, I knew who he was, but it was just I, I still didn't feel safe. I was kind of like, I can, I can never find him, but he can find me. Strange. So one night, I'm by myself, and it's late at night, maybe like 10, and I was in the mood to go out. And somebody kept knocking on my door again. I'm, I'm mad because I know somebody's, I don't know who it is. I'm thinking it's that guy. I don't know. But I closed the door and I hear something jiggle. Cause I had a, a, a lock that we all had a lock that you, if you play with enough, maybe the top lock, you'll probably get it loose. And, um, I felt something jiggling and I realized this motherfucker on the other side of the door is trying to get into my dorm suite. So, my first instinct was, oh, shit, this, I don't know what's going to happen. Because there was only one way in, one way out. But it was a relatively uh, populous dorm suite. So I really wasn't sure, like, how that was going to work um, in terms of him getting out and, and things like that. But, and then suddenly my my emotions turned to, like, rage. Because I had a really bad temper at the time. So at first it went from, oh, shit, this person's trying to get in. I don't know who this is, to... I'm going to kill this motherfucker on the other side of the door. Like, that's really how I felt. I was really angry and I was upset at the audacity of somebody trying to enter my space and you playing on my, you playing with my, with my living arrangements. Like, this is where I live. It's where I lay my head and you playing with me and all that being played with. So, I think, and against my better judgment, and maybe I would have did the same thing now, um, I don't know. Because I feel like now the law says if it's imminent danger, you do what you got to do. But, I grabbed a, a big butcher knife and I'm like, yo, like I, this person is trying to pick the lock. So I'm just going to open the door and get the stabbing. That was, that was the intention. So when they pick the lock and I see it click, I open the door and I see somebody run. So I said, wow. So man, it was, it was, it was weird. It was weird. Wait, wait, no. That's the second time. The second time is when that happened. I apologize. Let me go back. The door had jiggled first and I clicked it locked. I locked it when I realized they were playing with it. And that's, when I, and that's where the fear came over me the first time where I said, oh shit, they really almost just picked my lock. And then I got angry and was like, well, fuck it. I'm going to open the door if they keep fucking playing with me. And that's where the safety piece came in because it was like, damn, you probably wouldn't have done that if you wasn't so pissed off. Because it's one thing to defend somebody coming in your house. It's another thing to open the door and get ready to, to slice and dice somebody that's trying to get in your house. It's a difference. I'm sorry. I just want to make sure I clear that up. It's a very, I ain't going to say it's touchy-touchy, but it's just like, I just remember being so mad when that shit happened. Um, and I didn't stay at my place for like a week. Like, I remember having somebody come with me to go get clothes. And I was I was at one of the homies' houses like, nope, I can't do that. And it stopped, which is kind of weird. Um, but, but, yeah, that's stalking. Now, 
Another trigger warning is homicide. It's also as close to home. Um, 72% of all murder suicides involve an intimate partner. 94% of these murder suicides are female. I had a relative that was murdered by her husband. Um, that he, I, I, She was trying to leave. She was ready to divorce. And he, I guess, invited her to like link up with him and maybe they could talk or, or in amicably. But I don't know what, what the premise was with him, but I do know that my relative went to the place alive and she was gone. Um, or she was, or not, was not alive. Um, by the time it was all said and done. And I'm, I'm going to, if that's okay with y'all, I'm going to more than likely reference the situation when it comes to abuse and signs and things of that nature, because the dude that her husband, her, her ex-husband or the estranged husband, he was really trying to play this shit on some bullshit in terms of trying to villainize my relative who ended up being a victim of his ways. And I, and I think that's kind of interesting how that shit works when it comes to abusers because abusers never realize they're fucking abusers or they're in a denial. Um, so, yeah, I told y'all this episode is pretty, is we're, we're just laying this shit all the way down. So, again, y'all, bear with me. Children and domestic violence. One in 15 children are exposed to intimate partner violence each year, and 90% of these children are eyewitnesses to this violence, which is very unfortunate because we know when you're children, you know, a lot of your first examples of how to do things, you know, are, are done when you're children. So when you see an example like that, sometimes abuse is all a child knows and that reflects in how they deal with other people and that reflects in how they deal with other people as an adult, which is very unfortunate. Um, if they're not able to get the help or resources to get that, um, to get that healed. So in terms of the economic impact, like I mentioned earlier, Victims of intimate partner violence, they lose a total of 8 million days of paid work every year. Between 21 and 60% of victims of intimate partner violence lose their jobs due to reasons stemming from the abuse. So if you need a mental health day or if you're recovering from your from, from injuries or if you're scared for your life and you don't want to go to your workplace because they may know where you work. They, they lose their job. 21 to 60% of victims of intimate partner violence lose their job because of that, which is, which is foul. It kind of makes me wonder, like, the flaws in the system is just so, they're not, they're not enough. It's not enough to protect people that are going through this. Physical mental impacts of intimate partner violence. Women abused by their intimate partners are more vulnerable to contracting HIV or other STIs due to forced intercourse or prolonged exposure to stress. Also, studies suggest that there is a relationship between intimate partner violence and depression and suicidal behavior. Physical, mental, sexual, and reproductive health effects have been linked with intimate partner violence, including adolescent pregnancy, unintended pregnancy in general, miscarriage, stillbirth, intrauterine hemorrhage, nutritional deficiencies, abdominal pain, and other gastrointestinal problems, neurological disorders, chronic pain, disability, anxiety, and post-traumatic stress disorder, as well as non-communicable diseases such as hypertension, cancer, and cardiovascular diseases. Victims of domestic violence are also at higher risk for developing addictions to alcohol, tobacco, and drugs. That was something similar um, like we went over with the CDC um, stats. So there's many definitions I learned when it comes to domestic violence and intimate partner violence. I thought it was interesting because the CDC referred to it as intimate partner violence, and then the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence said, hey, it's domestic violence. 
So their definition of domestic violence is the willful intimidation, physical assault, battery, sexual assault, and or other abusive behavior as part of a systematic pattern of control and power perpetrated by one intimate partner against another. It includes physical violence, sexual violence, threats, and emotional abuse. The frequency and severity of domestic violence can vary dramatically. So they're saying, look, it's a system of harmful behaviors that affect the body or um, or it affects you sexually, threats, or emotionally. And like they said with the CDC, they were in agreement by saying that the frequency and severity varies dramatically. Um, now, in California, because I am in California, I live in California, 32.9% of California women and 27.3% of California men experience intimate partner physical violence, intimate partner sexual violence, and or intimate partner stalking in their lifetimes. Now, you know, I've been talking about firearms um, over the past couple of weeks, if you guys have been following my Instagram. And one thing I did notice when I was taking my test and when I was doing my background check and things of that nature is that if you get something that's involved in domestic violence, there is no owning a firearm. And if you have a firearm and you have a DV situation, um, domestic violence situation, you don't own that firearm no more. Let me get more specific. So domestic violence, dating violence, and stalker misdemeanors, those who have any of those, they're prohibited from possessing firearms in California. Now, if you have a temporary or final protective order on you, including dating partners, prohibited from possessing firearms not those that's petitioning but the respondents the person that they're putting it on and then if even if you got the gun if you mess around and you got a misdemeanor for dating violence domestic violence stalking or you had a restraining order on you whether it was temporary or final even if you got a gun you got to give it up so i thought that was interesting i actually think that's very good in california um i pray that it's actually enforced um, and then also in California, background check, even if you may have had like a, a restraining order back in the day and it's on your record still and, and you know, you apply, you still not going to get the gun because your background check not going to clear and you don't get your money back. So I wanted to talk about um, now that we've kind of gotten the physical um, overview, mostly of uh, domestic violence out the way. I really want to go into something that that really inspired me to um, there's, there's so there's a couple things that maybe want to do this episode my cousin's memory i always wanted to kind of do an episode like this didn't know how to approach it i mean shit i told y'all it's it's almost three o'clock in the morning and i'm doing this episode the day of because i i just wanted to sit and make sure that however i approach it i approach it with respect and with care and with love but i also want to talk about how psychological abuse is is really a silence problem and i think people don't give it much uh credence or much uh, validity because of the fact that it's not a punch in the face or kick or um, throwing objects. Psychological abuse is very fucking damaging. It is. And I think a lot of us, more than we like to admit, have our stories where somebody has tried to twist our minds in order to accept behavior that was less of the bare minimum um, of what a human, is, especially a human in a loving relationship, or supposed to be in a loving relationship, is deserving of. I've been there. I know a lot of people that's been there. I know people that's still there. So um, I really want to, again, have this conversation to really uh, help push the conversation forward to um, address any type of stigmas and kind of shame surrounding this. Because it's a lot of us that can relate to somebody that, again, has tried to poison us mentally, emotionally, psychologically, all because they want some fucking power and control 
in a situation that really takes two people to lead. You can't do a relationship with just one person doing everything, making all decisions, taking it out of your hands. No, it takes two people to collaborate and compromise and, and, and communicate on what they want. And one person can't do that shit by themselves. And when a person feels they can by, by breaking down the spirit and the psychological um, capacity of another, that's not a relationship. That's a fucking dictatorship. So I just, I just not, I'm just not with it, but you know what? Let me get some water and, um, I will be right back and we'll talk about it more in general. If y'all want to get some water, get some tea, woosah, if if some of y'all done bought my aromatherapy inhalers, if y'all want to, you know, take you a couple of deep breaths, go ahead and do that and I'll be right back. All right, y'all. So it is time to talk about psychological abuse. Now, I really like the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence's, uh, definitions because, they're, they're worded in such a way that, man, like they're very easy to understand and they make these facts very easy to communicate to people. And their version of psychological abuse involves trauma to the victim caused by verbal abuse, acts, threats of acts, or coercive tactics. Perpetrators use psychological abuse to control, terrorize, and denigrate their victims. It frequently occurs prior to or concurrently with physical or sexual abuse. Remember, because intimate partner violence can be a combination of different types of abuse. Um, Psychological abuse includes, and I'm just curious if some of you all can relate to this or if you knew uh, one of your homegirls or homies that's been through this. Humiliating the victim, controlling what a victim can or cannot do, withholding information from the victim, deliberately doing something to make the victim feel diminished or embarrassed, isolating the victim from friends and or family, denying the victim access to money or other basic resources, stalking, demeaning the victim in public or in private, undermining the victim's confidence and or sense of self-worth, and convincing the victim she or he is crazy. Now, I would like to to break it down a little further for those that are trying to figure out if this is if this is what it is. Now, I can only tell you from my personal experience and from the experience that I've witnessed firsthand. But when I say firsthand, I mean witness of others firsthand. So I can only speak on my experience and the shit that I was able to see. But the way I seen the, the victim was um, humiliating the victim. And I'm going to go over all of these, all the examples I've seen, because unfortunately I've seen all of them in some way, shape or form. Um, but humiliating the victim can come off where if you know a woman in, or a man is insecure about something, you constantly pick on that. In order to keep their confidence down. If a woman. And what I saw. If a woman was concerned about her weight. The partner knew that the woman was insecure about her weight. They would constantly say. You look fat. You're so fat. You need to. Why don't you lose a couple of pounds. I mean nobody's going to want you. If you're you know. Like I don't know where you think you're going. Like I'm the only one that wants you this way. But you you know. You're fat. Like I don't. Do I look fat in this? Yeah you do. Actually. Stuff like that, knowing that the, the 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 woman was insecure and she would cry and he would say, but I still love you though. I mean, nobody going to love you but me. Nobody wants a fat girl. And I was like, wow, like you're a, you're a dick. But that was one. Controlling. And when I say humiliating the victim, that, that basically is saying like, she did it, they did it in front of me and other people. That's humiliation. You know your woman is insecure about something. She's told you in confidence. You publicly tell her that she's fat, knowing that's going to hurt her feelings. Then you follow it up and say that you love her that way, even though you just point out something she's insecure about. And you said nobody else is going to want her because of 
the very thing she's insecure about that you made her feel even lower about. So that's that's a very interesting uh, example of humiliating the victim. Now, controlling what the victim can or cannot do. I have seen situations where a man, uh, shoot, a man and woman. I remember, um, and this is going to sound, some of y'all going to be like, shit. I, well, I'm going to tell your ass, shit, because I do think it counts. But um, one thing I think that's interesting that has the potential to lead to psychological abuse is the dictation on what a grown ass person can do. And I know y'all going to disagree with me and y'all can, but I just, I mean, I don't understand how you could tell me otherwise on this. And I said that respectfully and I said that with love. But the thing that I think that kind of resembles this is when y'all dictate, when I say y'all, shit, let me say we, because I did this once myself and I've had this done to me um, years ago. When we try to dictate who our ex or who we can talk to or who our partner can talk to, don't talk to no more exes. You can't talk to them no more. We're together. You can't talk to them no more. And unless that person already didn't talk to their ex, I do think that's a form of control. That's that insecure shit. It is. And I know some of y'all going to be like, bitch, fuck you. And I don't care. You can say that. That's fine. I won't, I'm, I'm completely cool with that because I already know that's coming from an insecure place. That's coming from a woman who told her partner years ago, you better not talk to that bitch again. I'm telling you, that's to me, I think that's a form of psychological control. If, if he goes along with it and he didn't want to, that's abuse. If he doing something because he want to make you happy and he really don't want to do it, that shit is abuse, dog. Just like if you having sex with your man and you really don't want to do it, he want to do it, and he's co- you know, coercing you to do it, and he's kind of like taking it from you, taking it. Y'all know how that go when a man want to take it from you? That's abuse. And I know sometimes we get into this old school way of thinking of being like, oh, well, a man going to do what a man do, and if he don't get it from somewhere, he going he gonna to get it from somebody else. If that's what it takes to get your drawers down to have sex when you don't want to, that's abuse. Dictate who your partner can and cannot talk to against their will. That's abuse. It may not be whooping ass, but it's still abuse. Withholding information from the victim. That's another thing. You know somebody gives a fuck about you and what you're doing, and you purposely playing mind games with them because you want to fucking be funny. Hey, what's going on? Why you want to know? Where are you going? Out. Okay, like where? I mean, why you want to know? Like, being difficult on purpose. Like, the mind games and shit. Like, no, if, if people are genuinely just asking a common question and all of a sudden you start withholding information and acting real secretive and shit, to me, that's also psychological abuse. That shit is playing games. Don't nobody got time for that shit. Just say, hey, I don't feel like telling you where the fuck I'm going. Or just tell them where you're going if it ain't that serious. Like, some, I don't know. It's just, I don't know, man. People just kind of like to play games. And it's a control thing. We'll get into that a little later too because sometimes people just would do anything for the sake of having some form of control even if it's a roach sized portion of crumb control deliberately doing something to make the victim feel diminished or embarrassed that's the same thing as um uh, the, the the fat humiliation uh that man calling her fat so that's the same thing we just mentioned isolating the victim from friends and or family i'm gonna give y'all one good line i've heard from a motherfucker that did this don't tell your family or friends about what we go through because I don't want nobody in my business. And the gag is, the reason why people say that shit is because they know that if your family and friends found out how fucked up you was treating whoever you was with, they wouldn't want them with your ass. So that's why people do that. Sometimes people don't want their business being out. And I understand, I'm a, I'm a very private person. So I respect 
not wanting your business out. But when it comes to somebody being mistreated and then you lie and say, oh, well, I mean, don't tell our business when I'm mistreating you because then people are going to see I'm an abuser and I can't have that. Because usually abusers is cool with everybody else. They just treat their partners like shit, which ain't cool either. But we'll get into that later on. But that's a really good red flag I've learned firsthand from a motherfucker who will be playing psychological um, games and things of that nature. Mind games are not sexy. I always tell people, like, you play games with me, I'll flip the table over. I don't give a fuck. I'll leave. I'm not finna. I don't do tests. I don't do none of that. If you got to play games with me and you got to test me without just asking me directly and accepting the face value, honesty, and transparency you get, then you ain't really deserving of the shit no way. But, again, I digress. Um, another version of psychological abuse. Oh, it's another one here. Yeah, I, I see that we kind of talk about this on Twitter a lot um, as, a, as a collective. But denying the victim access to money or other basic resources. And I think sometimes people joke about this shit and it's not funny. It's not. Like withholding assistance because people want sex. I think that's very lame. And I think that's also a form of psychological abuse. Dangling money and resources, knowing that somebody is financially hard up, you dangle it over their head like a carrot, knowing that they need that money. So you're saying, hey, if you do this, then I'll give you this, knowing that you really don't have any intentions on doing that for them. Or you keep pushing the goalposts back and saying, okay, well, you did that. We'll do some more stuff and I'll give you this money. And usually that stuff is um, at the cost of their dignity and respect. Or just flat out saying, no, I have this stuff. I, I could help you. I just don't want to help you because I I just don't. And I think and, I'm, and I know some people say, oh, well, that's boundary setting. Yeah, that's true. But I think the intent of how you decide to deny somebody um, assistance is what really determines if it's abuse or not. Now, if you're saying, hey, I ain't got it like that. I got $40, but I'm behind on bills. I got gas. I'm, I'm really I really don't have it. That's one thing. But if you have money and you see this person struggling or you promise them something and you don't give it to them, knowing that you promised them that money, knowing that there was already some type of understanding. Or you just say shit like, oh, well, I would have gave that to you, but you pissed me off the other day, so I'm not going to give you that $50 to help you with your light bill. That right there creates a, it's almost like a dog, right? And I know some of y'all going to be like, what? I'm not saying that people are, are dogs or animals. But what I'm saying is it's that training aspect that abusers do when it comes to how they withhold shit. They think that because they have the treats, in this case, the money, they dictate how you act. And if you remember about training dogs, dogs will do things based on treats. And after a certain amount of treats, they ask is trained. You ain't even got to give them no incentive. They just do it. And I think that's how abusers think when it comes to uh, withholding money and resources. After a while, they know she going to do what I want her to do or he going to do what I want him to do to get this money or to get these resources. So she going to tighten up. He going to tighten up after a while. And in order to get this, they're going to change their behavior to do what the fuck I want to do. And only then I might give them what I said I was going to give them if they act right. So that's what I mean when I say it's like a dog training aspect. It kind of reminds me of that, which again is really foul because we're humans with, um, we're humans with like our own computers in our head you feel me we have brains we have the power of decision and choice and logic and things of that nature that we can utilize and then somebody's gonna manipulate that for the sake of some motherfucking power it's lame also what else we got here stalking that's a that's a given all this attention somebody tell you leave them alone you keep calling their ass over and over i didn't see any stories on twitter where people don't call folks 200 times 
that's that's stalking. When somebody tells you to leave them a fuck alone and you keep going around and you bothering them, man, I know a situation where somebody showed us to somebody's house. All because they didn't want to talk. And instead of actually letting things breathe, and they probably could have been cool since that person showed up to that person's house, they done ruined the relationship for good because they're out of bounds. All because they couldn't just accept a leave me alone. They was like, well, fuck it. I'm going to go to the house. That's the worst thing. That's stalking. That's unwanted attention, unwarranted attention. Another way is undermining the victim's confidence and or sense of self-worth. Again, you ain't going to find nobody better than me. You ain't going to find nobody that's going to love you like me. Ain't nobody going to love you, bitch. Nobody wants you. Like, that's that's undermining the confidence and the self-worth. Or, you ain't deserving of this. You ain't deserving of a person like me. An abuser will be quick to motherfucking tell you what you ain't deserving of, huh? Like, like they a prize. You don't deserve me. Many person, people want to be with me. Many men want me. Many women want me. I ain't got to be with you. I'm doing you a favor. That kind of stuff. Which will have you second guessing what you bring to the table. Like you ain't a good person. Like you're not a good partner. Like you're not worthy of the love you deserve. That's another way. And another, oh man, this one here. Convincing the victim that he or she is crazy. And this always seems to fucking happen when you try to hold their ass accountable, huh? Man, crazy how that works. The irony in that. Imagine you trying to hold somebody accountable, then they want to be like, you're crazy. Yeah, I'm crazy for putting up with this shit, huh? I'm Good thing I don't have to. If I if I understand that. Now, unfortunately, some people that are being abused, they don't quite have that figured out yet. And um, and I pray that that they get to a point that they can. And I know and I understand that based on the severity, it can be very dangerous to uh to make moves. Um, but we'll get to that a little later. Cause again, like I said, the spiritual community collectively does a very shitty ass job with addressing that. But again, we'll get to that in a moment in a moment. So Going back to psychological abuse, it also increases the trauma of physical and sexual abuse. And a number of studies have basically shown that psychological abuse independently causes long-term damage to a victim's mental health. I can see that. They often experience depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, suicide ideation, low self-esteem, and difficulty trusting others. I can definitely see that. Subtle psychological abuse is more harmful than either overt psychological abuse or direct aggression. Again, like I said, it reminds me of the dog training reference because that's not overt, overt. That's that's a repeated um, incentivized type of um, training. You know what I'm saying? Like, do what I want you to do and I'll treat you how you want to be treated. Like, that's, oh, God, I hate that. Anyway, so um, some statistics here. 48.4% of women and 48.8% of men have experienced at least one psychologically aggressive behavior by intimate partner. I can say that I've and man the one that I have seen has been that I've experienced myself um because I mean you know when you younger I mean I think about my teen relationships and I'm kind of like eh, maybe like early college is when I started kind of seeing behaviors that you kind of thought were normal but then when you get older you realize that shit wasn't normal i was very fortunate not to experience it on a regular basis but just enough to peep game on the bullshit and be like okay i i i've got put through the ringer on this shit but i'm not finna um i'm not finna 
put up with this shit for the sake of love. I can't be patient with a motherfucker that's, that's moving like this. I got to bounce. So, um, yeah. But in, in the ones that I noticed were convincing the victim that he or she is crazy. Um, let's see what else. Undermining the victim's confidence or sense of self-worth. But I had a really big ass ego. So that was kind of hard. I was like, I think <laughs> he was like, Bitch, don't nobody want you. I was like, nigga, please. Like, if you see me, <laughs> who the fuck you think you're talking to? So, I mean, that was that was what I did. See, he tried, but he failed. Um, but I also seen one that was about um trying to like shame, humiliate. I've seen, you know, that before. But he was trying to do that like on the slip behind my back. I was kind of like, bro, like, I could really post the receipts and you could really get you to fuck up out of here. But um, he kind of he he cleared that up before everything got out of hand. And um Withholding information, I've seen that. I've also seen withholding uh, resources or money and other basic resources. I've seen that as well. So it's, it's some things that you that you see in a, in a person and you're like, damn, bro. Like, they probably don't even realize it or maybe they do. But once you realize it, it's like, oh, no, I can't build long term with you. I can probably kick it with you until I, I get up out of here. But in terms of staying with this long term, I may not. And then some people are actually in there long term until they can't realize it. So, or until they actually realize it and they feel like they can't leave. Sometimes it's it's children involved and, and, and there's paperwork, marriage and things that are your businesses. So, you know, it's just really interesting um, how some of these behaviors that we weren't really presented to as domestic violence or intimate partner violence, they are now considered like domestic violence. Let's see what else we have here. Some other facts before we get to the next segment. Ooh, let me see how long I've been talking. Oh, it's going to be a long episode. Well, it is what it is. So the effects of psychological abuse. 7 out of 10 psychologically abused women display symptoms of PTSD and or depression. I've, I can see that manifesting into a major depressive disorder. I've seen that happen before. Uh, women experiencing psychological abuse are significantly more likely to report poor physical and mental health and have more than five physician visits in the past year. I can understand that because when somebody got you psychologically uh, damaged or or harmed, you're not going to be as inclined to eat right. You're not going to be as inclined to go work out. You're not going to be as inclined to clean your house. You're just going to be... I've seen situations where people have been in a in a standstill. They've been in a rut. Meanwhile, people are calling them stagnant and lazy the whole nine, not even realizing they're in a major depressive episode because of the partner that's abusing them. So I can actually, I can, I can, I can agree with that. I can see that. Uh, psychological abuse is a stronger predictor of PTSD than physical abuse among women. I can also see that because psychological abuse, that takes a trust to be had and then to be fucked over for that to happen. Imagine you love somebody, you trust somebody, you, you think that they're not going to hurt you and then they fuck around and hurt you. But you still love them. A part of you is surprised, but they keep doing it. But you feel like, damn, well, maybe I'll work through them. I try to see the good in them. And then you realize, like, damn, this is just really how they operate. And then it puts you at a crossroads because you're like, damn, like, what you might have presented and what you present to the public ain't really who you are behind closed doors. But again, we're going to get to that in the next segment because we talk about how abusers be out here faking the motherfucking funk out here uh, fronting and shit like they good people and they really aren't. But these questions I thought were interesting. The questions say, um, or they're an assessment as to whether you're being psychologically abused. So it says, does your partner threaten to harm you, your children, your family, and or your pets? They tell you you're worthless and that no one will ever love you. They isolate you from your family or friends, control your behavior, and monitor your movements and whereabouts. Tell you that you're crazy, demean you in public or in private, constantly criticize you, 
Do they blame you for everything that goes wrong? Do they stalk you? Do they cause you to feel guilt over things that are not your fault? And do they threaten to take away your children? So that's just something to think about. So, according to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, now physical abuse had a slightly defi a different definition than the CDC's, and I want to read that um, with you all or to you all. Physical abuse includes the physical assault, battery, and sexual assault used as part of a systematic pattern of power and control per uh, perpetrated by one intimate partner against another. Physical abuse can cause severe injury and even death. It often co-occurs with other forms of abuse, including psychological abuse, economic abuse, and stalking. Again, going back to the abuse of uh, resources or messing up the partner's ability to go make a living for themselves because they're dealing with the effects of abuse, whether it's mental or, or physical or emotional. Also, um, stalking. Um, we have done a lot of intimate partner physical abuse. Um, one thing I thought was interesting um, was that more than 75% of women aged 18 to 49 who were abused were previously abused by the same perpetrator. And also domestic violence is most common among women aged 18 to 24 and 25 to 34. And a majority of physical abuse is committed by dating partners rather than spouses. Also says intimate partner physical abuse is not bound by age, socioeconomic status, race, ethnicity, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, religion, or nationality. It exists in all community. This is not usually typically uh, an isolated incident. Physical abuse is a tool of control and oppression isn't a choice. It's a choice made by one person in a relationship to control another. I like the fact that they say it's a choice. Everything we do in this life is a choice. So it is, I like the fact that even though the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence um, said, you know, it's not typically an isolated incident, which kind of contradicts what the CDC said about saying that it could be an isolated incident just one time or it could span a number of years. I do like the fact that they said that shit is a choice to abuse. The person that is making the bad decisions chooses to do that in order to um, enforce some type of will or power over um, someone else. So I really like their, uh, their definitions. Let's see. Is there anything else here about? No. Okay. All right. Some other, um, some other information about men. Cause I think people act like being can be domestically abused too. And I've definitely seen a couple of dudes get socked by they, by they, uh, they, they partners, they women partners. Um, and, and their male partners too. I've seen it. I've seen it on either side of the spectrum. I've seen it happen, um, with women on either side too. So this isn't a straight problem. It's not a gay problem. It's not a black problem, a brown problem, Asian, white, uh, problem. It's, it's none of those Indian problem. It's, it's none of those. It's a, it's a problem period. Every community, every ethnicity, every nationality, every religion, everybody got somebody that's out here fucking up like that, which is not cool. But um, I just don't want people to feel like that, you know, it's a it's a particular community problem because it's not. But there are also some men um, who also are abused, too. And man, one out of four men have been physically abused, slapped, punched, shoved by an intimate partner. Again, like I said, I've seen a couple of dudes get hit in their face by their girlfriends and they can't hit her back. So they start getting uh, beat up. I've seen that before. One in seven men have been severely physically abused, hit with a fist, a hard object, kicked, slammed against something, choked, burned by an intimate partner at some point in their lifetime. I've seen that before. A dude almost got hit by a car by his girl. He jumped out the way. Um, I've also seen 
a guy. Uh, anyway, I don't want to traumatize nobody. Anyway, let me not. Nearly one in 10 men in the United States have experienced rape, physical violence, and or stalking by an intimate partner and reported at least one measured impact relating to the experience, these, and other forms of violent behavior in their relationship, being fearful, concerning for safety, um, post-traumatic stress disorder, need for health care, injury, or they contact a crisis hotline, or they need housing services, or victims advocate services, legal services, or they may have missed one day of work in school. One in 18 men are severely injured by intimate partners in their lifetimes. Male rape victims and male victims of non-contact unwanted sexual experiences reported predominantly male perpetrators. And I'm not, I'm not saying that for y'all to say, oh, it's the LGBTQ problem when it comes to men, because it's not. It's just saying that that's for that particular situation. That's how it goes. Again, um, nearly half of stalking victimizations against male were also perpetrated by males. But remember, that's nearly half. So the other half is probably by either women or people that don't identify. So I just, again, say these stats to also say, like, please do your best to refrain from generalizing this issue because it's it's a it's a widespread problem. Um, perpetrators of other forms of violence against males are mostly females. So um, let's see. Forty eight point eight percent of men have experienced at least one psychologically aggressive behavior, like being kept tracked of by like demanding to know his whereabouts or insulted or humiliated or felt threatened by partner's actions by an intimate partner in their lifetime. Or, four in ten men have experienced at least one form of coercing control. So basically, like we mentioned before, um, their partner trying to isolate them from family or friends, manipulation, blackmail, deprivation of liberty, threats, economic control, exploitation by an intimate partner in their lifetime. Four out of ten, I was a tiny bit surprised, but... The more I kind of sit with this info, the more I think, no, that's not surprising at all. Because like I said, when you have something as simple as trying to dictate who people talk to against the other person's will, that's already a form of coercive behavior. So, um, yeah, it's just been kind of interesting. I've been, I've been sitting with this stuff a lot um, since I had it. So it's just, man, man, this is, whew, it's a lot. Okay, so that is the statistics. And we got the signs and the signs that we need to look for when it comes to abusers. First off is don't look for a particular type of abuser. I think everybody saw what's love got to do with it and automatically assumed that he was going to be an Ike Turner type dude. The way they portrayed him on the movie was on drugs, controlling, loud, rambunctious. Um, I think people kind of, kind of think that they can spot an abuser. And unfortunately you can't, it's not some it's not a t- it's not the typical stuff you see like on TV. A lot of abusers come off like they cool people and they really got some shit underneath all of that charm that they present to you. Ninety um, percent of abusers, according again to the National uh, Coalition Against Domestic Violence, ninety percent of abusers don't even have criminal records. And abusers are generally law abiding outside the home, so they know they can sit there and fuck up at home, or they gonna try to fuck up at home, but they wouldn't dare do that shit outside. Because they fucking know better. Which is unfortunate. Because again, to abuse someone is a choice. So they choose to sit there and show somebody a different side to create this false ass narrative that they could people and then choose to contradict that knowingly in their own household. Now even though there ain't like a particular personality type, there are some traits to look for. So, 
So tries to look for an abuser. An abuser often denies the existence or minimizes the seriousness of the violence and its effect on the victims and other family members. So here's a prime example. If you're crying your eyes out and you're saying, you hurt me. I can't believe you would do that to me. You hurt my feelings. I, I felt disrespected. I felt devalued. And they try to laugh it off or you're so sensitive. You're sensitive. No, bitch, I'm hurt. <laughs> like the fuck is wrong with you? That's one way to, to tell that somebody may have an abusive personality. Also, they objectify the victim and see them as their property or sexual objects. I mean, that's self-explanatory. An abuser has low self-esteem and feels powerless and ineffective in the world. They may appear successful, but they may feel inadequate. And that's why they always want to jump on you. And when I say jump on you, it could be either physically or it can be emotionally. However it is. They don't have no power in no other place. So they get it from you because that's the only time they feel like they got some shit going for them. It's unfortunate. It's fucked up, again, because it's a choice. An abuser externalizes the causes of their behavior. They blame their violence on circumstances like stress, or they try to flip it on you like as if it's your fault, which is even worse. Because, I mean, you make me do that. Like, no, bitch, like, you made yourself do that. You chose to do that. Don't blame it on somebody else. Or they say, oh, I was having a bad day. Or, or they say, oh, I was faded, I was high, I was drunk, whatever. Now, this is the most dangerous trait, in my opinion. An abuser may be pleasant and charming between periods of violence and is often seen as a nice person to others outside the relationship. The reason why I think it's dangerous to me is because when you're isolated from your family and friends and they present themselves to be a saint to everybody else, if you go outside of what they told you not to do when you start talking to folks, they might question you or they may find it hard to believe. And abusers do that shit on fucking purpose. I really believe that. I, I'm, the, the stats didn't say that, but I really think they do that on purpose because they know that anything that goes against them, they're going to try to find their way to wiggle, wiggle out of that. They don't want nobody to know they treat their partner like shit. Because it ruins their reputation. That's why they don't want nobody selling nothing to nobody. They don't want to be looked at as who they really are. They'll be cool for a couple of weeks. That little cycle of, of honeymoon phase and then you fight and you're fighting like cats and dogs. Honeymoon phase again, fighting like cats and dogs. May take a vacation May get some gifts, fight like cats and dogs again. Next thing you know, it's been four, five years. And you realizing, damn, like this is the same shit over and over. They know what they do. They know. Okay, well, uh, they might they might leave. Let me let me tighten up a little bit. And I'm not saying that for every single abuser, because I don't know every single abuser, but every single situation I've seen this happen in, it's always been like that. They know they finna get left, or they know that something is finna change. So to avoid that and to cover their ass to keep you around, they switch up. Have you second guessing your whole instincts the whole night? Like, damn, well, they, they doing so good. Maybe I should just stick with them. Next thing you know, they're back to their bullshit. Control, manipulation, power. Now, there's a list I saw here on the, uh, on the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence website. What are the warning signs of an abuser? Red flags and warning signs of an abuser include, but are not limited to, Extreme jealousy, possessiveness, unpredictability, a bad temper, cruelty to animals, verbal abuse, extremely controlling behavior, antiquated beliefs about roles of women and men in relationships. Oh my God. That one. Antiquated beliefs about roles of women and men in relationships. I'm going to give y'all one good example of this. And this person might be listening. And I don't give a fuck. Because it's a red flag to me regardless. So there was a gentleman that was trying to get my attention. And he was cool. 
And I was, you know, having conversations, like, you know, just getting to know this person. And this person would tell me stories that would demean women in a negative light. I'm like, sir, you do understand I'm a woman, right? So you talking shit about women. Not only it does it not do shit for me, it makes you look very, very suspect. Because you, there's no way you could disrespect women as a whole to me and think that I'm just going to sit there and let that ride. And you're not going to do that thinking that we're going to date. Because no telling how you view me. He told a story about how he intentionally manipulated a woman to show. Let me, what was it exactly? He said, this is the story that he told me. And again, we keeping it extra real in this bitch. And I'm sorry in advance. I apologize in advance if I trigger anybody. But I'm saying this so that people understand and are aware to peep through the bullshit the next time somebody try to come and present themselves as non-abusive and they really may got some bullshit about them. But this person told me a story about how this woman or this, this younger woman was not quite well aware of her worth. And we've all been there to where we may not have understood our value at some point. We may have been taken advantage of because of that. He gonna sit there and tell me on the phone how he played the girl. He slept with the girl the whole nine. The girl likes him, obviously. She's thinking that they building something. He tells her, I don't really want to be with you like that. I just want to show you that you need to do better with your value. You got to hold yourself on a better pedestal. And I'm like, like, you you would do that? You would purposely see a, a young woman who doesn't quite see her value. You would take advantage of her, sleep with her, do whatever you want to do with her. And then just toss her off to the side so you can just so you can lecture her after and tell her, well, you know, I had to show you your worth. That's prime abuser behavior, power. You see something that she don't see. You take advantage of that. Even though she was consenting with the sexual activity, you still did it knowing that she didn't know any better in terms of her worth. She liked you. And then you're going to purposely keep messing with her knowing you don't have a, uh, you don't see a future with her. She's seeing something different. And then you tell her, well, you know, I really didn't want to be with you like that. I just wanted to show you your worth. Her feelings is hurt and shit. That's trifling. That's so fucking trifling. I was like, wow. You was a hoe. That's a hoe. That's hoe behavior. When I say hoe, I don't mean like sex worker hoe. Like people try to say these days. I just, what I mean by hoe behavior, it's cowardly. And it's gender neutral too. Hoe is gender neutral. That's cowardly ass behavior. That's bitch ass behavior. Again, gender neutral. Like, who, why would you self-appoint yourself to be in a position of power to take advantage of that young girl like that? That wasn't cool. And I knew that from that conversation, I said, oh, this shit about to drop the fuck off. I ain't called that motherfucker since. And I'm, and I'm if he's listening, that is exactly why. Next. Sabotage or birth control methods or refusal to honor agreed upon methods. Uh, that includes ejaculating and not telling the person. That includes trying to uh, ride somebody until they come on purpose, knowing they don't, or trying not to let them pull out. That's that's some warning signs. Uh, poking holes in condoms, flushing birth control pills down the toilet. Also, taking fertility drugs, knowing these people don't want kids, trying to get pregnant, knowing they don't want kids. That's warning signs. Because again, it's a it's a control thing. It's that's a power thing manipulating somebody on purpose that don't know they being manipulated to make them do what you want them to do to have a baby whether man or woman that's foul blaming the victim for anything bad that happens oh man you brought it on yourself that's the magic phrase for me 
they brought it on themselves or what did you do or you must have did something. Those phrases, oh man, those are the ones. I'm not going to front. I love to hear it when I'm getting to know somebody because that lets me know I can't fuck with you when it comes to that. Like when it comes to you must have did something to be abused and you not even listening to the person who survived this story to even get context, it's automatically like a explaining, like a qualifier. Well, you must have did something. And that just lets me know, like, that's some bullshit. It's one thing if a woman is like, if she if she feels she's done something, then that's one thing. You can hear her out, and you still don't have to put your opinion on it because it ain't your business. It's not a situation. You wasn't there. But to just automatically dictate that somebody had to have done something, even if the man is like, yeah, I said something disrespectful and she she did whatever. That's their that's their story. That's not for us to say you must have asked for it. You must have deserved it. You know what I'm saying? So it's just kind of interesting how people kind of use people's truth to kind of justify the abuse and things of that nature. Or if it's somebody that's in a situation that is abusive, they try to blame the person that they're abusing for their choice to abuse them. That shit is stupid. Also, sabotage or obstructions of the victim's ability to work or attend school. If you know that somebody need a clear head to make money and to go to school and to study on their books, you constantly giving them grief and hell, that's abusive. This person got class and you telling them um, some, some bullshit and they're saying, hey, I got to go to work. I got to get this money. I'm in a meeting and you're still exercising your will and control over the conversation to interrupt what they're doing. That's abusive as fuck. Controls all the finances. We already know how that goes down. So that means you got to constantly ask them for money and they hold the purse strings. And whenever they want to tighten them on your ass, they just tell you no, which is not cool either. Um, Let's see. What's some other signs here? This episode is going to be long. Oh, my goodness. Also, here's another one. Accusations of the victim flirting with others or having an affair. Control of what the victim wears, how they act, demeaning the victim either privately privately or publicly. Um, embarrassment or humiliation of the victim in front of others and again harassment of the victim at work that includes calling on some bullshit and constantly trying to argue with them at work bring coming up to their job starting shit at their job um yeah so that is signs of abuse all right go ahead and get you some more water we're gonna finish up this last bit and uh we're gonna wrap it up all right so This one is dynamics of abuse. And I'm going to go over this one fairly quickly because there's a wheel that I'm going to link in the show notes that I would like for you to to see and follow along with. But um, this is the one going back to what I said about, oh, you must have did something. People say you must have did something to try to qualify whether people deserved abuse. So victims of domestic violence do not bring violence upon themselves. Even if they say they did, they don't. They do not always lack self-confidence, nor are they just as abusive as the abuser. Sometimes when people are still being psychologically abused, they'll try to equate themselves to be just as bad as the abuser. Well, I did some things too. He did some things too. And, um, and again, I'm, I'm learning um, the more I get into my studies in, in counseling and coaching and things of that nature with clients, j- don't agree. Like, I, I personally can't agree with, with that. I just hear them out because um, I really believe in my heart of hearts that people don't. They don't deserve to be abused. 
So it's hard for me to agree with somebody that may be been abused and been like, yeah, I, well, I did hit him once and he hit me back. And then, you know, so like, I just, I get, I get it, but it's like, I just, I just can't agree. Cause I don't think that's fair. I don't, nobody deserves to be abused. They don't like, I just don't anyway, but um, and also it says violence in relationships occur when one person feels entitled and control, uh, entitled to power and control over their partner and chooses to use abuse to gain and maintain their control. We discussed that now in relationships where domestic violence exists, violence is not equal. That is one reason why I, it's, it's hard for me to agree with somebody that says that, um, even if the victim fights back or instigates violence in the effort to defuse the situation, there's always one person that's the primary source of power, control, and abuse in a relationship. That's the prime example right there. Because that's a reaction to something that is unsatisfactory behavior and treatment. At some point, people are going to be tired of being treated like that. So, again, like for me, it's, it's just always been difficult. Because um, sometimes people will nod and be like, yeah, right? Like, you know, well, I hit him, you know, so I mean, right? And it's like... I. <laughs> I can't agree with that. Like you, that was a reaction. Like that person been had control. You just reacted. You got tired. So, so yes, dynamics of abuse. Also, um, let's see. Physical and sexual assault or threats to commit them are the most apparent forms of domestic violence and are usually the actions that make others aware of the problem. So once there's a, 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 a real threat like physical threat, like, Hey, I'm going to come to your house and do X, Y, Z or whatever. That's when people are like, Oh, okay. I got to tell somebody. Um, however, regular behaviors, uh, abusive behaviors by the abuser also make up a larger scope of abuse. Although physical attacks may occur only occasionally, they still instill the few, the fear of future attacks and allow the abuser to control the victim's life and circumstances. That makes complete sense. If it can happen once, people are going to think it can happen again. So they're going to try to adjust or and move a certain way to avoid that from happening. I understand that completely. Um, let's see. I really want to get into this wheel. Where's that wheel? So there's a wheel I want to link you to that's done by the Duluth model. And it's a cyclic wheel, which means it goes in a circle. And it talks about the violence... And how it can be physical or sexual, but it's also um, rooted in power and control. So again, cyclic, circle, circular um, behaviors, patterns include using economic abuse, making her get an allowance or him get an allowance, taking their money, not letting them know or have access to family income, using coercion and threats, making and carrying out threats to do something, threatening to leave, threatening to commit uh, to die by suicide. Threatening to report her to welfare, him to welfare if they got kids, trying to force them to drop charges if there was charges, or making them do illegal things so that they don't go to the police on um, on them. Using intimidations, making her uh, or him afraid by using looks, actions, and gestures, smashing things, destroying their property, abusing pets, and brandishing or displaying weapons. Using emotional abuse, um, we discussed that. Again, the mind games, making people think they're crazy, calling names, humiliating them, making them feel guilty, trying to shame them. Isolation, controlling what they do, who they see and talk to, what they read, where they go, limiting outside involvement, and using jealousy to justify their actions. Minimizing, denying, and blaming, so making light of abuse, not taking the concerns seriously, saying the abuse didn't happen, shifting responsibility for the abusive behavior, or saying that that person caused it. Using children if someone has children, 
making them feel guilty about children, using the children to relay messages, using visitations to harass them and threatening to take the children away. Also, using male privilege was on this, this will. Um, treating the abused like a servant, making all of the big decisions, acting like the master of the castle, and being the one to define the roles in the relationship. So um, that is the, um, the, uh, the, the pattern of abuse, the will. I think it's a great will. Um, again, made by the Duluth model. I'm going to link that in the show notes. Also, um, let's see. Every relationship is different, y'all. It's not going to be the same thing. It's not going to be the same type of pattern. Um, and again, abusers use numerous tactics and numerous forms of abuse to instill fear in the victim and maintain that power and control over them. And again, sometimes it happens once. Sometimes it happens sporadically over a long period of time. And sometimes it happens consistently over a long period of time. It just, it varies. And again, it's not exclusive to any type of, um, community. Um, so let's see what else here. The effects of domestic violence include, and this is a list that I'm going to read all the way through feeling depressed, feeling helpless, being aware, unaware of what services are available to help being embarrassed of the situation, fear of judgment and stigmatization if they reveal the abuse, denying or minimizing the abuse and making excuses for the abuser. They still love their abuser or they withdraw emotionally from everyone else. They distance themselves from family or friends, be impulsive or aggressive. They feel financially dependent on their abuser, have guilt related to the relationship, feel shame, have anxiety, have suicidal thoughts, abuse alcohol or drugs, be hopeful that their abuser will change and or stop the abuse, have religious, cultural, or other beliefs that reinforce staying in the relationship, have no support from friends or family, fear cultural, community, or societal backlash that may hinder escape or support, feel like they have nowhere to go or no ability to get away, fear they will not be able to support themselves after they escape the abuser, have children in common with their abuser, or fear for their safety if the victim leaves, has pets or animals they don't want to leave, or be distrustful of local law enforcement, courts, or other systems if the abuse is revealed, and have had unsupportive experiences with family, friends, employers, law enforcement, courts, child protective services, and believe that they will not get help if they leave. For fear of retribution, if they do, you know, there may be some type of retaliatory action, like, you know, losing custody of their children to the abuser. So let's see. Why do victims stay? And this is where the spiritual community um, be fucking up, in my opinion. The spiritual community has gotten so fucking lazy. And when I say the spiritual community, I mean myself included. Everybody's included in this bitch. Everybody. But the spiritual community has gotten so lazy because they think the law of attraction is the end all be all to this shit. It's not. No, that's not how this shit works. It's super general. A lot of these laws make sense. On a general scale, I'm not going to let, if I'm abused, I'm not letting no motherfucking person who claims to be spiritual tell me that I, I somehow attracted this bullshit because I've seen it happen a lot and I've seen it happen a lot on Twitter. I've seen people get on that fucking high horse and they tweet that shit and people co-sign it because they don't fucking know no better. How can someone that don't know in individual circumstances or know anything about these people feel so entitled and so um, confident to just say that every single case of abuse has to be because of some past life bullshit 
or some law of attraction bullshit. And that's the fucking problem with law of attraction now if we're going to keep it a thousand. Everybody using law of attraction for everything but collective progress. We can talk about manifesting a fucking house, a man, a car, money. We can talk about manifesting abuse somehow, but we don't talk about manifesting from a collective standpoint, which I've always thought was a big, big, big problem with the secret in law of attraction because everybody done used it for the motherfucking me and not the we. So it really grinds my gears to see these motherfuckers that claim that they super evolved. You can't be no motherfucking healer telling me that I somehow caused my abuse. You got me fucked up. You can't sit there and claim to be a healer, a spiritualist, or whatever the fuck you want to do in this community. You cannot say that you're a person that works as a light worker, whatever the fuck. You can't say that and then sit there and blame somebody you don't know for their abuse. You cannot victim blame and claim that you're, you're helping. Victim blaming don't work. Tell somebody that they attracted that shit to them don't work. Yeah, we might choose wrong partners, but that's nothing to shame nobody for. Everybody done kissed a frog plenty of times in this bitch. And them frogs didn't turn to princes. They stayed little slimy, stank-ass frogs. Who the fuck are we to sit there and tell another person who's coming to us for guidance that they somehow attracted and deserved abuse? And to be honest with you, that's what had me on Audrey Kitchen ass last year, a year and a half ago. That shit is what made me do that episode on spiritual leaders. And when I seen that article and I started talking to them folks personally that she abused and that bitch sat there and said that, yeah, I said it. She a bitch. I said that. I said it last last year, too. But those are the kind of people I have problems with. She sat there and told these people, again, power and control. She said that to wield power over them, she used their secrets and their truth against them, saying that they somehow were fulfilling a past life prophecy to be a servant in this life and to endure abuse in this life so they could learn a lesson they didn't learn from their past life. Y'all got, man, these bitches got the game. Fucked up. Bitches being gender neutral. Run, tell that to whoever the fuck you want to tell to. That's a fucking lie. Law of attraction, nobody deserves to be abused. People sit there and watch The Secret and 50 million YouTube videos think they go tell somebody what the fuck going on with abuse. It's out of line. And the reason why I'm doing this episode again, and there's many reasons why I'm doing it, but one good reason, one real good strong reason that got me up here at 3.30 in the fucking morning on Homegirl Thursday talking about this shit is because I really do not like to see people that are supposed to be Helping is supposed to be a light for others. Sit there and make somebody feel like they're the cause of their own fucking darkness. When that darkness was handed to them by somebody else. I hate that. And I want y'all to peep fucking game. Because a lot of this shit out here in these spiritual streets do be game. And I don't mean game to help you. I mean running game. Chest moving paws around on the board kind of game. And that's not a game you want to be a part of. I really want people with spiritual homegirls to understand. You get the real when you talk to me. We're going to put you on game. A lot of shit that's cool ain't really cool out here. It's only cool because a lot of people co-sign it. And that's some bullshit. If I got to be the only person that goes against the grain with law of attraction, then so be it. But I think that's some motherfucking bullshit. When I hear somebody tell me that, that lets me know they ass don't read a goddamn thing when it comes to the topics they talk about. They want to sit there and just put it on a cliche law of attraction. Like the fuck? You ain't that five years. You goddamn. Like you got to, if you want to master some shit, bitch, you got to master all levels of this shit. I don't even believe in those kind of dimensions like that. But man, 
We can't be so 5D to where we just forget the 3D shit that's here. Like, come on, nah. The spiritual community has to do better. And I'm never above my own advice. That's why I'm saying collectively, we, I, whatever. Because we are really leading people astray and leading people down a dark path to tell someone again that they are the cause or they're fulfilling a prophecy of some kind of abuse. What the fuck? That's abusive in itself. And motherfuckers really believe it's bullshit. It's bullshit. And especially it'd be for a motherfucker who you don't even know. And you probably wouldn't know if you weren't giving them no motherfucking money for no product services or anything else. It's funny how this shit work. And when I say funny, I mean sad. Irony. It's irony. It's ironic as hell to have somebody who don't know you take your goddamn money and then tell your ass or take your goddamn time and attention and then want to tell you to goddamn refer back to the cabal, you know, the secret to let you know why the fuck you being abused by a motherfucker that chooses to be abusive. Y'all, man, get the fuck up out of here. Spiritual community got to tighten the fuck up. We ain't perfect, but goddamn, let's not goddamn be just willfully ignorant to the shit. It's okay to goddamn do some research on some shit before making a generalized statement about a group of people that may have individual, nuanced, um, individual circumstances. I'm going to be even more clear. Just because you was abused, because I know people like to use, like, I feel like when it comes to abuse, and I'm going to ruffle some feathers here, and I really, I promise y'all, I don't give a fuck. I really don't. When I hear people that have been abused still speak on strangers' abuse from their own lens, even though they don't know that person that they're trying to speak on so authoritatively with the audacity that they have. It's the equivalent of a non-black person talking shit about black people and then being like, well, I mean, I'm black at heart or I got black friends or I can talk. No, you can only talk from your own experience. Your story is your story. You still are not qualified to speak on someone else's abuse. How the fuck do I look speaking on my loved ones or people that I've seen be abused as if my opinion or my processing or my understanding of it is better than theirs. They was fucking in it. The fuck? That's just something to think on. So let's talk about some shit that these motherfucking law of attractions ass motherfuckers in this community don't want to talk about. And that's why victims stay. I done heard all sorts of bullshit excuses. Oh, well, I mean, you got to look within. You must, if you attracting fucked up people, you must be fucked up. No, bitch, they must be fucked up. And in they process of treat me fucked up, then it made me fucked up in the process. That's how that goes. That's how it goes sometimes. And I know that don't really fit the narrative of the YouTube shit that in the law of attraction shit, but that's really how it goes. Hurt people, hurt people. That's a cliche that could actually make some motherfucking sense. If a person is not being hurt, and they come across a hurt person and that hurt person starts projecting that kind of shit on them and they become hurt because there's now that's that's abuse and they're becoming abused. That makes more sense if you're going to goddamn use a cliche instead of you must have you must be fucked up to get this kind of treatment because you obviously attract what you project and there must have been something in you that attracted this shitty ass person like come, that's we get so generalized with this shit bro it's time to study some more before we goddamn speak on everybody else's life. Like, I'm just, I'm just not with it. And even if that's your experience, that still don't qualify you to speak on somebody else's experience. Like, you know this shit better than, than they do. Like, I'm just, that shit get me riled up because it's just like so many people need something to hold on to. And they come to so many people for help and they're getting some bullshit. That's bullshit. But 
let's talk about why victims stay. So the thing I like about how the domestic violence uh, coalition worded this particular sentence is because it addresses it in a way that we don't really see. We usually see, oh, well, if you're in a domestic violence situation, just leave, girl. Go get a gun and shoot his ass. Leave. Just leave. Ain't that fucking easy? Like, me personally, like, I haven't been in a situation like that. I didn't see it. Now, I ain't, I ain't gonna front. Now, they had me some, some toxic men in my day. You know what I'm saying? A little, little, little psychological behaviors here and there, little red flags here and there. But I, I've seen situations third hand. Um, and when I say third hand, I mean like I've witnessed it to someone that I was close to when they going through it. There is no go get a gun and shoot. It's not like that. So it's much, it's much more difficult. And the wording of this sentence is when it comes to leaving, when it is a viable option, it is best for victims to do what they can to escape their abusers. I'm going to read it again. When it is a viable option, it is best for victims to do what they can to escape their abusers. They're basically saying, hey, we understand there may not be a, a good time, quote unquote, good time to leave. But when you got that option, it is best to do what you can. However, this is not the case in all situations. They say abusers repeatedly go to extremes to prevent the victim from leaving. Again, hence the use of when it's viable. In fact, leaving an abuser is the most dangerous time for a victim of domestic violence. That's why I don't like the generalizations. Again, like I said, going back to our community, it is not that fucking easy to leave from somebody that might have done some very harmful, hurtful things to you and it has your life feel or has you feeling like valid, no validly feeling like your life is in danger. It's easy for another person from the comfort of their phone, from the comfort of their computer to tell somebody they don't know what to do. Not knowing that it's really life or death for that person that they think they're advising. It's dangerous. Cliche advice don't work for shit like this. Shit is real, real. Like you might need a, a qualified professional in this type of situation, type real. Not no motherfucker on the internet trying to tell you, just leave, girl. <laughs> Get your power back. No. It's not that easy when it comes to extreme and severe domestic violence. Shit, all that, get your power back. That's after you can find out if it's a viable option to leave without being in a situation that harms your safety or your children's safety and things like that. People stay with folks that abuse them for so many complex reasons. That's why I say all these situations may have commonalities, but they're not the exact same. That's why I really despise the generalization of the solution for it from our perspective as spiritual people in the community and just um, and just societal reactions. Like I seen this one person um, was being abused by her ex and he was terrorizing her. Literally, she was posting everything on Twitter, not because she wanted to tell their business, but in case something happened to her, it was a record of who the fuck did it. The fucking comments was trash. A lot of them, leave, sis. Just leave, sis. Bitch, how? If this man knows where she lives and she don't feel safe and he's watching her house and he's, he's FaceTiming and doing all this disrespectful stuff, how is she going to leave? Y'all asses ain't there. It's easy to sit there and say from the comfort of somewhere else what somebody else should be doing. If it ain't saying to mind your business, then you really can't give no advice on no real shit if you don't know them. <laughs> 
The best you can do is say, if you're trying to give anybody advice, and I'm talking about this outside of abuse, if you're in a comfortable situation and you're good, you really can't give no advice about somebody that's going through it like that. Because you're not in it. You don't understand the severity. Even if you do, it's still going to be from your own lens. You still don't know the severity. Because again, it's still complex. It's still very case by case. Everybody got a different circumstance. Sometimes people don't want to leave because they didn't see the potential of how things can get. And they don't want to put that on their children or on pets or on their family members or none of that. You don't know how people are going to act. Also, let's see what my notes say here. It may be a situation where they feel powerless because they feel like if they leave, they may put people that they love at risk for retaliation and retribution. It gets very, very multi-layered after a certain point because 20% of homicide victims because of intimate partner violence were not the victims themselves. It was family members or people that intervened or neighbors or friends or law enforcement responders or bystanders. Also, other reasons why victims stay is because they don't have people that support them. They don't have nowhere to go. There's not a safety plan in place. Or they're scared that if they do leave and get caught, the violence is going to get worse. Or they just try to rationalize it and say, look, we're just going through a rough time right now. That's all. It's good when it's good, but when it's bad, it's terrible. That's a way of, that's a way of, of um, rationalizing it. Or they may not even know where they can go. Or where they can get support because of the fact that they may be manipulated in such a way they may not be able to access internet or be able to talk to folks to figure out what they can do. Or they may not even have access to their phone, period, to call nobody. Or access to a car. Or shoes in some cases. This shit gets very, very deep. Or they may not have money because a person controlling the purse strings. They may gotta ask for money. Or they may have a cap on how much money they get, if that. Or shelter programs might be full. Or there may be a, a religious belief, a cultural belief that says, no, in our culture, in our religion, you work things out. This is a lifelong bond. Or they may not support divorce. Or the woman or the man is supposed to do X, Y, Z. That's why you can't go. Or they feel they ain't, they ain't got nowhere to go. They might be homeless. So the, the fear of being homeless on the street is enough to keep them there. Or they may say, well, look, I'd rather... My kids being a two-parent household, even if it's a if it's an abusive one, then it'd be a single parent. Like there's so many different different um reasons. So the last part of this episode is getting help. And this this is gonna be shorter than expected. I know some of y'all gonna be like, that's it, but I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you why. If you're in immediate danger, according to the National Domestic Violence um or National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, if you're in immediate danger, call 911. For anonymous confidential help 24-7. So even right now, 4 o'clock in the morning, uh, they got somebody on the line. Please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's S-A-F-E or 7233. So 1-800-799-7233. And then for hard of hearing, 1-800-787-3224. Again, for those that are hard of hearing, 1-800-787-3224. Now, this last part is, um, I think, the way that people should probably consider approaching domestic violence from here on out. And I understand everybody don't don't have the tools and things like that. Um, but I think that if we're going to lead people um, or, or inspire people or, or help people or coach people, I think we should have some type of decorum in how we address these things. 
because they are so serious. Um, it, it says, if you're being abused by your partner, know there is nothing you've done or are doing to cause the abuse. It is solely the choice of the abuser to abuse. It may seem impossible to escape your abuser, change your circumstances, or find the help you need, but it is possible. However, you know your abuser best, so think carefully through your situation and circumstances and do what's best for you. So that is um, the the help portion. I know some of y'all probably like, that's short. And the reason why I'm glad it's short is because, think about it, if you got an abuser that is trying to keep tabs on a person that they're manipulating and willing control and power over, why would you want them to know where you can get help? I think it's a great idea that the domestic National Domestic Violence Hotline is private because that keeps the anonymity in there, the safety when it comes to who they're helping. Like, I think that's great. I think that, that has potential to save many lives. So um, I'm really glad that that's the resources there. And they can plug you in once you call. Everything is done discreetly and you're able to get the help you need. So I'm actually glad it's like that. Because imagine if you got a list of shelters out there and things of that nature. I mean, I, I know there are some out there. But if they know there's a possibility that the, the, the person being abused is at the shelter, they ask going to probably pull up to the shelter. Because you can't put nothing past an abuser. No telling what they'll do. So I'm glad that it's private. I remember when I was younger, I used to volunteer at a domestic violence shelter. And I remember they screened the fuck out of me just to volunteer. And I was okay with that. I had to get a background check, fingerprint scan, references, my resume. Once I got there, I interviewed a couple times. Once I got selected, um, they had to let me in the gate. They wouldn't even give me the gate code to drive in. I had to drive to the gate. They would let me in. And then I would park, and I would have to park a certain way so my license plates weren't exposed. And um, and I was introduced to the, the women and the families at the shelter um, individually and gradually. So it's a it's a process. So I, I like how, um, at least from the experience I had, I like how those types of um, resources are done because it really keeps the woman and, or the man and the children safe. It keeps the abused safe. Because, man, like some of the conversations I've had, with some of those women, it really breaks my heart, man. It, it really did. I remember crying my first couple of days. Like, this is just not fair. Like, people people don't deserve this. Um, and families, children, they, they they don't deserve that, to see that. And, and, and I've only, I haven't been in a, in a shelter where there was men there that were, like, grown men. But it just brought my heart to hear those stories from those women and those mothers. Um, and I'm just really glad, like I said, that the resources are, are done discreetly, but, but yeah, so I wanted to thank you all for riding with me. This episode probably is going to be like an hour and a half long. Oh my gosh. It's four ten. I think I was talking for two hours. Oh my God. If it's that long, I guess I'm going to have to just roll with it. It's going to be a long episode, but, uh, thank y'all for listening and riding with me, man. We are at the end of episode one Oh five. Thank you again for listening. For those who are able to listen, um, shout out to y'all for those that had to tap out and was like, yo, I can't do this. Shout out to y'all too. Cause you know, your boundaries. Um, one thing I will say though, and, um, this is not necessarily just a domestic violence situation, but just a situation in general. Remember your boundaries. I did an Instagram post the other day and I talked about assessing and reaffirming and redefining and defining your boundaries. 
You can always change your boundaries at any time. Now, I know sometimes it can get nuanced like a domestic violence situation. Sometimes it gets more severe where that may be much more difficult. But what I mean is I'm saying those from uh, from a more general standpoint of if you're in a situation where you have control of your involvement in a situation, whether it has potential to be abusive or not, and you're realizing that you don't like the way you're being treated, redefine your boundaries, reassess your boundaries and stick to that. Sometimes people will be so used to treating you less than what you're worth that they'll be offended. Like, damn, how dare you stand up for yourself? How dare you get respect for yourself? How dare you put yourself first before somebody else's approval? Like, sometimes people really get the audacity. And I'm learning 2020 is the year of audacity in general. So, I always tell, I'm telling people now, like, man, like, reassess your boundaries if you got to. And it's not even just about domestic violence. I'm talking about friendships, jobs, yourself, the shit you do the whole nine. I mean... Are you happy? If you ain't happy with it, look at what you do that that you don't like or whatever it is that you're like, yo, like when I allow this, it makes me feel this way. Okay, when this person, when I allow this kind of person, or for instance, if you have a project due and people keep calling your phone and you keep picking it up, that's a boundary you may need to relook at. Like, okay, well, maybe I need to tell people like I can't talk right now. I need to get uh, get on my paper or maybe I should turn my phone off. And if people don't understand that I can't be accessible to them 24 seven because I have things to do, then that's something they're going to have to respect, you know? So, so yeah, I just wanted to kind of remind people of that. But again, this has been another episode of spiritual Homegirl podcast. Shout out to my Patreon crew, Corey, Jessica, Maria, Tia, shout out to y'all to join the Patreon. You can definitely do so at patreon.com forward slash spiritual homegirl. Tears start only at $7 or 23 cents a day. We're doing our Libra challenge right now. I'm really about wanting to work with people that want to find small, gradual ways to um, implement changes in their life. I personally can't do the sweeping changes um, if it's not like life or death. So for those that are trying to... Um, do little things or not trying to those who want to or desire to um, make little changes every month to, to self-develop um, definitely tap in with the patreon sooner than later also um, shout out to my, my coaching clients my counseling clients um, I'm really excited to to work with that as well like that's I mean to continue working with it. there's so many ways I want to build this out I'm almost done with it, like I said before, but it's just, it's been one hell of a ride this year, and I'm really grateful, but um, yeah, also don't forget to subscribe, leave a comment, share with someone you love, I really do appreciate those who share the podcast, word of mouth goes a long way, and again, one share, one retweet, one anything, anything, text message, group chat, whatever, sharing episodes, I appreciate that so much, I'm getting hoarse. I don't know if y'all hear that. I haven't talked to I was horse in a long time. So I must have been on, on this mic for a minute. But um, but yeah, also um you can find me Facebook, Instagram, Spiritual Homegirl. Um uh, again, don't forget to subscribe. If this is your first time listening, thank you. Um and um guys, I feel like there's some of stuff forgetting. I feel like I'm forgetting something. And I know when I turn this off, I'm gonna be like, damn, I forgot. Oh, Tribe Letter. Don't forget to sign up for Tribe Letter. It comes out once a week. That is free. Not as extensive as the Patreon, but it is kind of like a tap in, you know, post check, see what's going on. And um Ooh, I think that's time for me to go to bed. All right. Well, um, Spirit says there's nothing more to say. My chest, my throat feels clear, which means I don't think I got any blockages that's on me that I need to get off in terms of this episode. So um, no lingering thoughts. 
okay, that was a clean, a clean release. That's what's up. All right, well, it's been another episode of the Spiritual Homegirl Podcast. My name is Maria. And um, remember, trust the journey, trust yourself, and remember to exercise some form of empathy to those that are going through situations that are abusive. You never know what people are going through. Peace. Peace.